Corner with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos and his hope is I'm wearing about $3,000 worth of clothing. I got my Burberry watch at $800. The Zenya tie at $500. The Hugo Boss pants, $250. And you know my shoes. It's like I always say, if it ain't Prada, you've got nada. And plus, I've got my Ted Baker green jacket. I look like a more handsome Phil Mickelson. Damn it, I look good. Damn it, I smell good with my $500 cologne. And I do all of these things. You know why I do it. To mask the fact that I have crippling insecurities. Because I am a petty, pathetic, insecure little man. And one that you can follow on Instagram. Please follow me on Instagram. Like my pictures at the Costos. Because I need your validation to get through the day. And as always, I am joined by my tag team partners. And speaking of needing validation, we talked about it last week. Whenever someone feels the need to tell you all the time how right he is, chances are he's an insecure mess. So late last week when we got the text message from Silver King, I was right about this, throwing in the Adam Cole baby at the end of it. I said to myself, so is Silver King working us right now? Is Silver King putting on an act? And the conclusion that I came to was half yes and half no. And I'm proud of our guy, the Silver King, because he's finally starting to get it. But also hiding beneath that exterior is a petty, pathetic, insecure, soon-to-be little man. And he goes by the name of the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now. And as always, I am also joined by the man whose name is on the market. Come on. He's the icon. Let's go. He is the main event. Bring it. He is the showstopper. My man. He is the whole effing show. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Stay hyped. He is the mast that guides the cast. Here we go. You know his name, damn it. He is <laughs> the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the damn podcast. Believe me, Nick, viewers, listeners, you are going to want to do yourselves a favor and get some of this. I don't want to be one of those guys who toots their own horn all the time, so I will only say this once. Once again, we've got one hell of a show for you and it's brought to you and underwritten by the most powerful substance since flex tape yes flex tape i said that performance enhancing audio not only will be breaking down the week that was in wwe and updating you on the incredible build within njpw ahead of jericho omega hey not only will we be answering your dm slides and previewing in detail sunday's wwe clash of champions pay-per-view card from boston but we will have a lengthy sit down with the game Yes, Triple H stops by to chat NXT's future, Ronda Rousey's future, and give us his take on Jericho jumping ship to Japan. And as always on this show, it's another chat you simply won't want to miss. But enough of teasing my own bag. Why don't I hand the ball back to a guy who rarely has to tease his own? Talent is not sexually transmitted. He's the most passionate man in North America. And hey, ladies, he's all yours. Hello, ladies. Oh, yeah, it's handsome. Nick Costos. And 
look, you guys know if talent were sexually transmitted, there'd be a lot of talented women walking around South Florida these days in the year of our Lord, 2017. Excellent intro from Brian Campbell, the Brian Campbell. This is the performance-enhancing audio. And you know what he says? He goes, it's underwritten, the performance-enhancing audio. You know what? It's not underwritten, Brian Campbell. Do you know what it is? It's under juice. Yes. Stoked. We are bathing. We are diving headfirst into the underjuice. And as we do each and every week, our journey into the underjuice begins with the main event. This is the main event. We have a three-part main event for you, dear listener. Parts two and three, WWE. Part one, the hottest angle in professional wrestling, and it ain't stateside. We're talking about New Japan Pro Wrestling. We're talking about Alpha, Chris Jericho, and Omega. Kenny Omega, head of their match at Wrestle Kingdom 12, January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. I'm not even going to run through it because I don't want to steal the thunder from the man whose name is on the marquee. Brian Campbell, take us through the damn timeline. Nick, did I wake up, uh, you know, Monday morning, and it was 1987 all over again. Uh, NWA territory era. Dusty getting his leg broken by the four horsemen. Uh, Dusty getting his eye gouged out by the Road Warriors spike on their shoulder pads. Are you kidding me? Chris Jericho shows up at the NJPW Tag Team League pay-per-view and surprises Kenny Omega from behind. But it's this insane, psychopathic Chris Jericho, who after they played a, a brief video package, attacks Omega viciously busts him open, blade job, and just destroys him to the point that he's kicking young young boys out of the way like he's Minoru Suzuki and even Don Callis of that Winnipeg trio in NJPW right now comes in to try to save Kenny. He eats a code breaker, which on his own podcast the next day, by the way, he said was stiff and it sounded like he was a little unhappy with how stiff it was as it busted his lip open. And you thought that was it, and that on its own would have been spectacular. But this is why NJPW feels so real, feels like a shoot, and why it's so good. The next day, they have a press conference, a shoot press conference, it feels like. And Jericho gives his, you know, why he's this match is so important. And he gets attacked by Kenny Omega. And Nick, this is about as vicious as it gets in pro wrestling, meaning this is about as real as it gets in pro wrestling. And... Jericho fires back. It becomes a brawl. Jericho ends up comedically throwing a table. Afterwards, there's a long swearing rant. Find it on the internet. Find it on NJPW World. It's, it's incredible. But here's the point, Nick. Notice I said pro wrestling. This was not sports entertainment. This was pro wrestling. This was late 80s WCW. Real people with real grudges that felt real. And you got to ask yourself, okay, what does that mean? Oh, it feels real. What does it mean? It's fought in a style that guys in a street fight would actually fight. Omega with a bandage on his head is rapid fire hammer punching like he was in a real fight. There's grunting, there's yelling, there's Chris Jericho so angry afterwards that he looks at a reporter and he yells at him and goes, why are you laughing, F-face, shut your mouth. I mean, it's just brilliant stuff. This is the hottest thing, arguably, and we're going to have a year-end awards show coming up before the close of December. This is arguably the best thing to happen in wrestling this calendar year. Am I so high on the underjuice right now, Nick? Put me, put me in my place here. I don't think you need to be put in your place. The one thing I disagree uh, with you on is, uh, look, I, 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 it is a callback to the 80s NWA, Ric Flair in the Jim Crockett territory. There's no doubt about that. But 
let, let's be crystal clear about one thing. This is still sports entertainment. And, and look, that's I don't think that waters down what we're seeing to call it sports entertainment. But there's a sports entertainment aspect to this. But reason why you're not wrong and the reason why you don't need to be put in your place is because this is tremendous. It's so freaking awesome. And it's awesome because of the principal characters involved. Alpha and Omega. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega. Chris Jericho, maybe one of my top three favorite wrestlers of all time, period. And probably my favorite wrestler, not probably, definitely my favorite favorite wrestler right now in Kenny Omega. And the build to this had been a little weird coming up before this week when they had the only the one interaction, the social media te-a-te uh, before that one interaction. But now we've got Jericho with the vicious attack on Kenny Omega. And Kenny Omega, normally the heel what we've seen from Omega over the course of the past year in his feuds with Kazuchika Okada. Now he gets a face reaction sometimes because he's so damn good, but Kenny Omega, normally the heel. Let's make no bones about it. In this feud, Kenny Omega is the baby face and Chris Jericho is the heel and Chris Jericho is playing this role to absolute perfection. This is not the comedy act Chris Jericho that put people on the list in WWE. This is not the comedy Jericho-holic Chris Jericho with Ralphus from WCW. This isn't even the calculated suit-wearing Chris Jericho from the end of the 2000s decade when he was feuding with Shawn Michaels. This is a brutal, a violent, a sadistic, a psychopathic Chris Jericho whose character is believable and makes sense because throughout his career he has bandied about the phrase that he is the best in the world and now people are calling Kenny Omega the the best in the world, and Chris Jericho has come back to reclaim the throne, not with his words, but with his deeds. And his deeds are violent, and they are spectacular. And what what really put that thing over the top was the blade job. And hearing Dave Meltzer break it down, that's not something you see in NJPW going back, right, like more than a decade. I, I'm just getting new to the Japan product in terms of, you know, following it month to month myself, like a lot of our listeners, like you guys on this show. That felt big. Now, Jericho was on the Killing the Town podcast. Hours after this took place, that's with Lance Storm and Don Callis, who is, you know, the, the American color commentator, of course, of NJPW. Let me just tell you what Jericho was quoted saying. By the way, he was liquored up on this interview. If, if you go back and listen to it, he sounded like there was a lot of under underjuiced filling glasses down there in Japan. But here's what he said. When you get color, it takes these things to a different level because we are not allowed to do that anymore. That puts it in a completely different universe than to see the actual color, the crimson mask. That, to me, was the greatest moment of my career in the last 10 years, because it was real, it adds to the whole drama, and we are not allowed to do that in the world I come from, end quote. So that's awesome, and that's really, Nick, what kind of made that spot. And do you know what it got me? It got me over a little hurdle I had coming into this match. And here's that hurdle, Nick, that Omega has built a standard this calendar year of obscene matches with the likes yes. of Okada, Naito, across, you know, Elgin across the board, right? We were like, how is 47-year-old Chris Jericho going to have that style of match? Well, he doesn't need to have that style of match. He needs to tell a story. And the best thing he did was turn this from a match on Sunday and Monday to a fight. And before uh, Jericho came on during that press conference, Omega did a long, uh, you know, spiel to the reporters answering questions. And here is one snippet from it that gets me so fired up. Professional wrestlers, we are performers, we are artists, and sometimes we get caught up too much in the entertainment of the fans. Someone like me gets too caught up in five-star matches, six-star matches, best bouts, 
Being the MVP, you reminded me yesterday, Chris Jericho, that at its core, professional wrestling is a fight. <laughs> and so I understand now what I must do. This isn't ever gonna be who's the greater athlete. <laughs> this isn't gonna be who, who can... Who can attach themselves more to the fans? Who can win over our live crowd? This isn't going to be who the world is cheering for. This isn't going to be WWE versus New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is going to be a fight. Nick, it's going to be a fight, which means when it's a fight, it doesn't have to be theatrical because it's about you wanting to see one guy Get his revenge on the other guy. It's simple. It's the heart and the core of pro wrestling, not sports entertainment, Nick. Pro wrestling. Yeah, and there's a lot for us to get into here. This is going to occupy, I think, most of what we're talking about here in the main event and on the show as a whole here. But before we move on to the little notes that I've got here um, that I think made this so spectacular, Silver King, um, unload on us here. That sounded really awful, unload on us here. Please don't do that. But let us know your thoughts here on what we saw from Jericho and Omega. Yeah, so I'm not going to repeat what you guys said um, because you're both right. You nailed it. The point I'll add is... Yes, this is pro wrestling. It's a throwback to the 80s. And what it again goes to show us, and I just wrote a couple notes down. This is now, let's say, the third or fourth time we've seen it this year, is the easiest storylines, the easiest match builds are the best. It's universal every single time. I don't need House of Horrors. No, when you I say easiest, you mean most simple. Simple and easy. Everything. It, you ha Like, House of Horrors, I don't need. I don't need the demon versus uh, Bray Wyatt. You know, uh, Sister Abigail. I don't need to get theatrical. What I need is Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar. I need Velveteen Dream Aleister Black. I need Alpha versus Omega. It's a fight. There's bad blood. It can be created just on a dime. And that's what this is. It's, a, it's as easy and as simple of a build as you could possibly get. And yet, you have two incredible performers doing it. And that is why it's so good. That's why it already has worked. And that's why no matter how this match is constructed. You say Chris Jericho's top three, me too. You say Kenny Omega's your number one right now. He's not my number one, but I love him. I think he's incredible in the ring. This cannot go wrong. Whereas with WWE, you put AJ Styles and Finn Balor in a match, and you could see where that might go wrong. This can't and won't, and that's why I'm so excited. About All right, so you actually, you took me. I wasn't going to go here first because, actually, I think it's actually better that we're going to go here first. I got to tell you, I'm a little worried, a little worried about the match itself. Oh, how dare you? Tell me why you're not. No, I, I, want, I want you to tell me why. Come on. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think this goes back sort of to, so now like I'm, I'm intersecting points here because I believe Chris Jericho with something he said, and I think Kenny Omega's lying was something that he said at this press conference. Look, it's pro wrestling. So, I mean, he's not lying. He's trying to work us, right? So when Jericho says on that podcast, whether he's liquored up or not, and if he was liquored up, it's like the expression says, in vino is veritas, in wine or in liquor, there is truth. When Jericho says this is the best thing I've done in 10 years, how could he not be right? Like, how could that not be the truth? 10 years ago was his feud with Shawn Michaels, which in my opinion, was the best thing that it happened in professional wrestling in the decade of the 2000s. That feud was absolutely spectacular. Since then, Chris Jericho's had a couple runs with the strap. He's had a couple runs in the main event, but nothing that reached the dizzying heights that we saw 
with Jericho and Shawn Michaels. And now in WWE, even if he ever goes back, he's never going to be a true main eventer ever again. He would get fed to Roman Reigns. He would get fed to Braun Strowman. He would probably get fed to AJ Styles. And I'm not even saying that's wrong. But in New Japan, Chris Jericho's got a chance now to be the main event again at age 47 because he's got the cachet there of being in Japan, as he said, 60 times he's been in Japan in that press conference. He's a worldwide star. The fans in Japan chant Y2J like fans in America do for Chris Jericho. So how could this be anything but a rousing success for Chris Jericho? Now, where Kenny Omega said something where I think Kenny Omega is lying is when Omega says, we're not worried about the five-star match. I'm not worried about the best bout of the night. I'm going to call BS on that from Kenny Omega. And I think what Omega is doing there is trying to set us up and swerve us for what we think is going to be this vicious all-out brawl. But I think they're going to try and do something pretty similar to what we've seen Kenny Omega matches be in the past. Well, it's going to be a hybrid. At best, it's going to be a hybrid of what Kenny does best with the genius storytelling of a veteran of, of Jericho's you know, ability with the WWE background, right? It depends on what they try and do here. And and like you said, it is kind of blasphemous for me, far be it for me to try and insinuate that these two aren't going to put on a five-star classic. But what's it going to be? Because it ain't going to be Omega Okada, nor does it have to be necessarily. But I also don't think it's going to be Austin Bret Hart from WrestleMania 13 and all an all-out drag-out brawl. So how is it going to manifest itself? How is it going to happen? I'm just a little concerned, and I hope that I'm proven wrong, that this is not going to be as good an in-ring match as we're expecting it to be. Yeah, you know, I guess it's an interesting point. I think I've listened to almost every word Jericho has spoken, whether it's the Busted Open show, Meltzer's podcast, a couple appearances on Jim Ross's podcast, and he keeps saying we're going to merge the Kenny Omega NJPW revolutionary style with the WWE style. And if they can pull that off, there's so much potential for this feature. Tremendous. It may not be a – it could end up being a five-star match without being – the kind of five-star match that current five-star matches are, which is normally more for the theatrics. It may end up being more of a Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black type, where it's so soaked in the good storyline, which is where you want it to be in reality. You would rather have that be, right? If there's any flaw with how great the NJPW is for people that are more, you know, ride-or-die WWE guys, it's like, oh, there's no storytelling, there's no selling. Both of those are false. But to a small degree, they have a point in what they're saying, right? It's different from WWE for those reasons. If they merge the, the perfect marriage of what we love about both together, this could be one of those where, okay, it's not going to be better than Omega Okada, but you may love it more in the long run. And my example to that is my second favorite match of all time, and some people think it's blasphemy, some people think it's perfect, is HBK Ric Flair, WrestleMania 24. Yeah. Because it told the best story, right? It's not just a story. It told a perfect story. And of course it had spots. It had a lot going for it. If it gives me, if I catch those feels, Nick, you know, it won't matter. It's going to be a five-star match no matter what. Don't you guys think Jericho's being a little disingenuous saying this is his best moment or situation in the last 10 years, because as great as it was, this hasn't played out yet. So for him to make that leap and he's done incredible things in WWE as a part-timer in the last decade, He's gotten over in massive ways, been the number one performer in WWE a couple times in the last decade. I feel like he's reaching, he's feeling himself a little bit right now. He's excited. Here's a segue. He's working us. Yeah, so actually, I got to tell you, I don't think he is. So let's play a game here. 
let's say you're Chris Jericho, right. Silver King, you're Chris Jericho. You're 47 years old. You've accomplished everything there is to accomplish on the wrestling scene. You've crossed over into music. You've got the Jericho Cruise coming up. You're clearly a brilliant guy, and I think I, I, I feel very safe attaching that label to Chris Jericho. And to me. Right? Uh, not, to you, not to you, but to Chris Both, Jericho. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think that you're smart. I think we, we fall short of genius category. Um, but as it concerns Chris Jericho, if you're Jericho and you have all of these accomplishments under your belt, he doesn't think that this is going to work. He knows right. that it's going to work. And he has a lifetime, a career of success behind him, catapulting him to this belief. So I don't think he's working us. And I don't think that he's reaching for it. I think that in his heart of hearts, he knows that this is going to be a massive, massive success. Now, right. quickly, go ahead. I, I, one thing I want to hit you with because I don't want to—I don't want to miss because it's going to flit away from my mind. I was a little concerned again. Back to the, the possible match quality here. I didn't love the way Omega sold the two code breakers. You know who sold it better than Kenny Omega? Wait, wait did? let me just pause for one second. What do we got? What is Nick Costos doing right now? This is the best thing ever, and you're like... I I want you to go back and watch it and watch the way Omega took those code breakers and then watch the way Don Callis took the code breaker. Callis took it better than than Omega did. Well, Callis with the uh, old-school Jackal Cyrus the Virus pedigree there, so uh, that's interesting. Uh, What I want to say is that... I'm a little concerned about the match is where where I'm going with it. A little concerned. I take that concern out of you. I won't take it out of you in the way that people normally take things out of you, but I just will. I will say though that. Uh, oh, like, like, tell me, like you ask me sometimes, like to like to be like, am I being ridiculous? Like I want you to tell me right now and like and and like and just be unfiltered. You're am being I ridiculous, being... Nick, yeah. because yeah. Jericho is an all timer in this category that we're talking about of like storyteller and almost he's you know why his forties are so brilliant because he can compensate for what he's losing physically so perfectly, like all great veterans when they get to that level, and he's a better storyteller than a lot of his contemporaries like Shawn Michaels on and on so that's a category where he dominates and then he's going against the best worker I'm trying to say maybe of all time I know it's obscene it's another day we've had that topic but I'm just saying do you have nothing to worry about it's in a platform where there's freedom and that's ultimately the difference that's why he gave that quote about the blade job meaning so much he has freedom there was no script in that press conference right afterwards he's swearing like he's Andy Kaufman because he has freedom and it's brilliant and it's wonderful but he's working us and he's going to continue to work us on half of what he says from this point forward, because he came out on Jim Ross's podcast in his most recent appearance and says, you know, I've never seen Kenny Omega wrestle before, so I'm going to have to go back and really, you know, research and look. Uh, two months earlier, Chris, you were on uh, JR's podcast and you broke down what you love about him and how he's so great and he's from Winnipeg and his style. And you said that Chris says that Chris feels like he's this generation's Roddy Piper, but he says that he thinks Kenny Omega is this generation's Chris Jericho. So he's obviously seen the matches. He's starting to play us in certain areas. And the reason why he's starting to play us is because this version of him, and maybe him all time because he comes from a different era, loves surprising us, loves it, gets off on the fact that nobody knew he was in Japan for both of his visits for this NJPW thing, that nobody knew that it was possible that he could go to NJPW, that he was even out of his WWE deal. We had no idea. He loves working us. He gave this quote during that appearance on on the uh, Don Callis podcast. In this day and age in 2017, when you can put together an angle and something that's very buzzworthy and nobody knew it, to be here tonight and have nobody know what's going on, to me, that is what wrestling is all about, a surprise that nobody saw coming. And everyone in wrestling, all of the fans, always think they know what's going on. Tonight, they didn't. And to me, that's the most exciting thing. Guys, let me use that as my transition to say this. Right now, December 13th, 2017, the Brian Campbell believes 
that this is not a one-off for Chris Jericho, even though in every interview he tells you, this is a one-off. I'm a WWE guy. Vince McMahon will always be my boss. This is my last match. This is, you know, Kenny Omega's last match in Japan, I think. And you can call him the Han Solo of the revolution, of the Rebel Alliance, all you want. And that kind of fits, Nick, and you'll agree with me on that, I think. His part in the revolution is going to be major. And his part in the revolution, guys, is just beginning. Because we didn't think it was possible just a few months ago that he could be at this point. And now he is buttering us, peppering us with the foundation that this will only be a one-off. Why? Because he gets off on surprising us. And if you really look deeper in his comments, he's already building an angle with Naito. Go listen to every one of his podcasts on Meltzer on Busted Open. He's building an angle with Naito, who in real life is upset that he's the main event. And everyone's talking about Jericho. In fact, just this week... Which, by the way, is the second time in his career this has happened to Naito. Exactly. So Naito's got that history. He's upset about it. And this week, they announced it's a double main event. Originally, Jericho was in the co-main event. Now, for the first time ever in Wrestle Kingdom, there's a double main event. And I'm going to run by, real quick, a couple points why I think Chris Jericho, this will not be a one-off and he will be back. Look, he's really good friends with Omega and Callus. They're part of that Winnipeg trio, right? Gato, the booker in Japan... Jericho's former tag team partner when he was in NJPW. They get along great. He does not... Those two have had great matches, by the way. If you go back to Japan from the 90s, some of the Super J-Cups in the mid-90s. So they have worked together for for almost 30 years now. All right, I got a a six-point plan for you. Point number two, he has nothing to come back to right now in WWE. He's 47. He just had the renaissance run that any wrestler could have dreamed of. He would be an upper mid-card jobber at this point. There's nothing to come back to outside of one one night big pop and he told Meltzer that he says if I come back to WWE there's no chance I'm in the main event at Wrestlemania but with this company right now I can be the leader number three Nick there's a long history of guys leaving WWE for TNA and for anywhere else and guess what happens three years later Nick they come back to WWE without a problem Hall, Nash, Flair, Hogan, Christian everybody four he told Meltzer that one of the reasons is, is just what I said the whole idea about not about opportunity he has an opportunity to be a main eventer for a while, if he stays around and wants to do this, to be in things that really matter against Naito or Okada. Five, he's got a big chip on his shoulder, okay? Okay? He doesn't want his career resume to end now as glorified one-night popper. And the final thing was what I said off the top. He's always working us. Everything at this point, when you look back over the last six months, can be picked apart. Kind of feels like a lie. There's been a lot of couple back-and-forth contradictions. Nick, I think it's starting. I think this is the, the turning point in the revolution, and I think he's going to play a major, major role. I love how you gave us a six-point plan. You could have stopped after the first one. You know how you know Chris Jericho's it's not going to be a one-off? Because he keeps telling you it is going to be a one-off. It's professional wrestling. It's all about working people. It's all about a swerve. There is no doubt in my mind. And I don't know if he's going to be an NJPW full-timer. I doubt that that's the case. But this ain't going to be a one-off with Chris Jericho and New Japan Pro Wrestling. There ain't a chance in hell this is Chris Jericho's only match right now in this run in New Japan. No right. chance it's the only Let me cut no. you off quick. So there's that March card coming up when NJPW comes back their second time in the U.S., all right? One thing that Jericho said to bust it open was that Vince would not have reacted positively to him if this had been anywhere but Japan. If this had been in the States for another company, for a TNA-like promotion, Vince would not have. So I think if he does stay in the revolution and if he wrestles on that on their part of their expansion in North America when they come to California for the second time. Just, just for the record, New Japan is not called the revolution. It's called New Japan. The revolution is something that you've created that's a figment of your weird imagination. <laughs> Correct. Thank all God. true, all true. But let me just close on saying it may seal the deal for him, but everybody cuts off WWE and comes back late in their 40s. Mick Foley just recently, everybody does it. So that's where I'm leaving yeah, it at but, that. Yeah, but there's a difference between 
him having that conversation with Vince, acknowledging it, and then going back and, and kind of stabbing him in the back and wrestling for New Japan in California, as opposed to going and doing that in the first place and then saying, hey, Vince, I'm doing this just so you know, Vince being mad, and then I'm coming back. Like, that's well, a who very. Who cares if Vince is mad? No, Jericho who does. Well, why? Because he sees him, and, and you can think he's working us with it. I don't. He sees him as his boss, and he sees WWE as his home because he's a smart guy. Because he knows they're the big dog in this show, and he's a prized possession for them when he's available for WWE. It's why Vince McMahon calls him and says, hey, Chris, can you come do the triple threat match randomly on SmackDown? Because I need you to, to job out so AJ Styles can win the title well, what's back. What's the insinuation, he's happy to come back What's and do the it. insinuation, though, that you're making here? What is the insinuation? That there's a difference between stabbing Vince McMahon in the front and then in the back. But what's okay, but okay, so let's say that he stabs Vince in the back. And I don't think that's a stab in the back. Let's say that he does what you're saying. Yeah. What are the ramifications of that? I mean, the ramifications are he may legitimately not be welcome back in WWE. Let me ask you a question, Silver King. You've early about 10 minutes ago you referred to yourself as a genius. I didn't say it, you did. Uh, given your genius level supposed intellect here, do you think that Vince McMahon if he felt that he could make money with Chris Jericho wouldn't let Chris Jericho come back? Vince forgives and forgets. I think He doesn't a, forgive and forget. He wants to make money. Chris Jericho I makes th- some money. I think there's a difference between doing something when you're like 35 and then coming back at 42 and doing something at 48 and then Three, four years later go by, and, and Chris Jericho is now 52 oh, years old. Oh, it's a business. Come McMahon on. You don't anymore. think if CM Punk wanted to come back, he would let CM Punk come back? CM after... Punk's like 39, 41, it's not, the, right? it's, not the, it's not the point. The hey, point Warrior is came back. The, it's not age. The, the point I'm making here is I think there are things Chris Jericho would do to Vince McMahon like this and things he would not do, which is lie to his face and then come back and wrestle in America. But we don't know I if think... he lied to his face, though. What he did was after he signed the deal, and, and Jericho revealed this last week, he called Vince right away, and Vince was positive. But Vince is going to be positive because he wants Jericho to come back, and I think he wants Jericho to bring Omega with him, right? So if, if we finally got to the, the so point on here, that note, that's the point, is, is freaking Omega's going to come at some point. And also, who said it? Was it? I think Jericho was the one that said it. And, Bri, you've been like you've been all in this year, so you probably know where this quote came from. Someone said it, I think it was Jericho that I was reading recently, that the end game for every single wrestler in the world at some point is to come to WWE. Yes. Kenny Omega at some point is coming to WWE. The Young Bucks at some point are coming to WWE. Cody Rhodes at some point will come back to WWE. I'm not saying it's going to be in 2018. I'm not even saying it's going to be in 2019. But you are fooling yourself if you don't think that these guys are one day going to WWE. And look, who the... I was almost dropped an F-bomb. Who the <laughs> hell knows what's, what's going on behind the scenes here? Or what Vincent and Jericho have talked about, what Vince and Omega have talked about. And Brian, I know in the interview that you had with Triple H, which we're going to play in a little bit, you asked Triple H about this. And Triple H actually references in his answer... Kenny Omega, whereas when you've talked to J- Triple H in the past about New Japan, he has said, they're not our competition. NXT's the competition for Raw. There is something going on here, and all that we are doing right now is speculating, and all anyone's doing is speculating, because no one knows what the hell's going on there unless you're a fly on the wall in the room. But what we can do is speculate. And my speculation is, where my educated guess is, and I could be wrong, is that this is going to ultimately lead at some point to Jericho going back to WWE, Omega going to WWE. I don't know when it's going to be, but I can tell you that the ride leading up to getting there is going to be awesome. And it starts January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. Send me the check in the mail, New Japan, for that promotion. 
And that ride to getting there, that ride to getting Omega in WWE is called the revolution, by the way. And that ride is going to go for a while. Because, look, he's not taking the money and coming next year. He's going to – I'm telling you, you'll see Omega in there, but you'll see him on an AJ Styles plan when 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 he's pushing 40 and it makes more financial sense. Something is brewing here, guys. Omega's, what, 33? I believe so. You think it's going to be five or six years before Omega comes? Well, I think it it depends how – the legs of this – "Quote unquote revolution on the indies of of non WWE. He's quote unquoting himself. I with love the revolution. You better believe, first of all, you better believe that. But second, I mean, look, like we said, it, there's certain things that need to happen for this to have legs. But he's trying to create something unique. That guess what? Everybody goes to WWE, right? Because WWE makes you a star. He's making himself a star first. I, I can't understand how people don't see this. He's not motivated by money. That's why he's dangerous. And right now, Chris Jericho's not motivated who's, by money, who's, who's which is not why motivated he, by money. Omega is motivated more by history and art. How do you know that? Isn't he the highest paid NJPW? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Hold on. How do I know that? Because I've How listened to every that? every podcast he's ever done. So, uh, so I will. Oh, oh, all right. All right. You're taking me at face value. Is is money part no, of his no, motivation? No, no, Obviously. Things like that, though, because it's not true. Nick, I, I, I don't believe If he that. was only for the money, he would have signed with WWE in January of this year after the first Okada only, match. I'm not saying he's only for the money, but to say, like, it's not about the money is asinine. It's well, always there's, about there's the money. there's a – okay, but there's an asterisk there. It's saying it's not about the money and you taking that as literally it's not, like the money doesn't matter, he could get be paying 30000 a year, that's obviously not true. He's getting paid enough, but the whole point is – to take the bump that he would get to WWE, to him, it's not worth it now because he's building something. He's trying to be a worldwide phenomenon, and he's building something. And more people are seeing it, and more people are getting on board. That's why we have a revolution. By the way, we don't have a revolution because of Kenny Omega, but he is a major force. He's the, the you know, Star Wars Episode Four. You know, he's the chosen one, possibly. Ready? Whereas, But you know when it really started, Nick? It's... And it's WWE's been on board with this revolution for a while. They created NXT in almost a indie type image, right? Number two, they brought on great indie stars, which they've never done in the past. And number three, they brought over the stars from Japan, like Styles and Nakamura. So the revolution's been going on for a while. It's just really making moves right now and making making money. Brian, Brian do me a favor. Play Webster here. Play Oxford. Define the revolution. Okay, the revolution to I'm me. I'm going to tell you, I, sometimes I don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's fair. It's a fair point. I'm, I'm, I'm fueled by passion, and it's not always fueled by uh, sane thoughts. But I will say this. The revolution to me is the spirit of the indies that's non-WWE that is not really aligning forces company-wise, but aligning forces in the mindset that there's better wrestling out there outside of the scripted WWE world and... They're on pace to win, to potentially win a creative, I mean, yeah, like a, a critical war. Not a financial war like the, like the Monday Night Wars, a critical war where true wrestling fans are going to go, I want more of what's going on on this side of the street. And the end goal for somebody like me is that it makes WWE forced to be better. That's what the revolution means. Question. Are you ultimately more into the revolution or are you more into... WWE like which is more important to you Brian Campbell I think it mirrors my history as a fan WWE is more in your face there's more of it it's entertains better on a a whole so I'm always going to be a WWE guy I'm employed to do that I love it as a fan but as a as a youth I loved WCW NWA so much more because it felt real so it's sort of a mirror in that that's why I, I I cling to NJPW right now because it's how I want wrestling to be it's not perfect. It's not enough to be my full time. But my whole point of the revolution is they're building something where it may end up 
it may end up becoming that, Nick. Okay, now my final question on this point here. Take your job out of the equation here. If I gave Brian Campbell, comma, wrestling fan, the opportunity to watch one of these two events, Wrestle Kingdom or the Royal Rumble, which does he choose if he can only watch one? This calendar year, I choose Wrestle Kingdom 12. All right, then you backed up what you were saying. Because then, we watched, I, I, I in real quick. whole setup to try and get you as the gotcha moment to say the Royal Rumble. We watched the G1, and what came out of the G1 was the match we're going to see in the main event, Okada Naito. Do I care about that? Heck yeah. And do I care about Cody Rhodes against Kota Ibushi? You better believe that too. So there's more than a few. It's not just one match right now, and that's, that's exciting. No, but it is, it is basically one match for you. It's, it's Jericho and Omega you choose. And let's be clear about this, because I'm not saying you're not into Okada Naito. I'm into it also. Yeah. I'm not saying you're not into Rhodes Bushi. I'm into it. I'm into the stuff involving the Young Bucks. I'm into a lot that goes on, because the card's going to be awesome. Let's be clear about this. You are choosing, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I want you to say it. You are cho- For everyone out there that's listening, you are choosing Alpha versus Omega over the Royal Rumble, if you can only choose one. This year, yes. Freaking love it. Good for you, buddy. I like that. But, that I like that you back. But you up. know what? To be fair, and I am not revolution eyes like Brian is. I would too. Like I want to see Wrestle Kingdom more than I do the Royal Rumble. See, I don't know if I do. I don't the know main, if listen, I do. The, one of the main events of the Royal Rumble is going to involve Kane. There's I a segue. Really see- I would rather see Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega and Naito and Okada. But the Royal Rumble match itself. You're going to miss the Royal Rumble match? It's great. But this year, if I had to choose one, it's going to be Wrestle Kingdom. Now, if you gave me Wrestle Kingdom versus a WrestleMania card that I don't even know what it's going to look like, I'm choosing WrestleMania 100 times out of 100. But the Royal Rumble right now, as it's being built, I'm not excited for it. The match is great, but you know what? I've seen 20 of them, or 30, or 40. However many Royal Rumbles there have been, I've never seen Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega. I've never seen a Naito Okada match to this level for the IWGP Championship. I want to see Wrestle Kingdom more than Wow, Nick, Senator Palpatine Silverstein over there just just came on board for a second. got to be done with that. No, I'm not on board with the revolution because there is no revolution. I'm on board with the NJPW product being extremely good right now. That's the difference. Grand Moff Silverkin. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought at the end of this that handsome Nick Costos would be the one caping up for WWE? I mean, geez, this play. We need to get the Empire music because apparently I'm Darth Vader right now. Darth handsome Nick Costos. Hey, one more thing on the revolution. Mark Cuban, who who owns Access TV, was, was talks to Sports Illustrated. We know that Russell Kingdom 12 is going to air on, a, I believe, a three-day delay. There's going to be a three-hour special on Access TV. He I'm says – Cuban says the future, he hopes, will be airing cards live. Big major NJP. Now, I don't get Access TV, so that's not a victory for me. But it's a victory for no, America. I do. I got you, you verse. You got to get you verse. No, I have Comcast. I'd rather Comcast is killing me. I don't get it. It might be a victory for America though, because that would be good. But I think NJPW is trying to fight that. They want their streaming service to be a thing. But it's something to look forward to if this is if this revolution is in fact real. But you know, what, what's our what's our show podcast account in this at corner in, CBS at in this corner CBS at in this corner CBS at B Campbell CBS at Silverstein Adam at the Costos. Tweet us this week, listeners, and let us know if you could watch one. Which would you choose? Wrestle Kingdom or the Royal Rumble? Because I am fascinated. And you know what, you're gonna, Silver King? Once the show is posted, give it like 12 hours after the show posts, put up a poll fresh on Thursday morning. Which would you rather watch? Brian will retweet it. I'll retweet it. We'll keep the poll open. We'll push it, and we'll see what the results are because I think it's going to be fascinating to see because we've got two guys right now that have voted for Wrestle Kingdom, and yours truly, I'm rolling with the Royal Rumble. 
and WWE. Speaking of WWE, we spent a lot of time. We're going to have to breeze through this. <laughs> um, second part of our, of our triple main event, Occupy SmackDown. Not the yes movement, but the yet movement. I thought it was kind of clever. Um, with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn saying boycott Shane McMahon as the GM of SmackDown, of course, ahead of the tag team match headlining Sunday's Clash of Champions pay-per-view, Orton and Nakamura against Owens and Zayn. If Owens and Zayn loses, they get fired from WWE. Daniel Bryan adds himself as the spe second special referee, of course, continuing to tease his return, which we have covered ad nauseum over the last couple weeks. Any thoughts on the continuation of this angle, Brian Campbell? Uh, any thoughts? How about many thoughts? There are times in a re in a build, in an angle turn, or, or a continuation of an angle where there's light at the end of the tunnel where you suddenly go, ah, this was that moment. Look, SmackDown's been brutal lately. This week's SmackDown outside of this topic was pretty brutal. And again, not brutal and being awful, just brutal and being like, Lukewarm, like who cares? Move on. This has legs, guys. This has a lot of legs. The 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 heel commentary, basically, that Daniel Bryan delivered during the main event, which, by the way, I'm not moved by uh, Owens and Zayn going against uh, Orton and Nakamura, and we've talked about that last week, but Bryan's basically healing out on commentary. It really gets the wheels turning, and Silver King, right away when we were talking about this earlier today, was like, he's coming back. And I not only get that those feels, Silver King, I get that he's coming back as a heel thing, but even more, I get he's coming back in almost a CM Punk role. What do you think of that? This was CM Punk's type stuff with him talking about his background and in the indies and the beef that it seems like he's building against Shane McMahon and really WWE proper. And I sit here, guys, and talk ad wax, ad nauseum about the revolution it's going to take over. And if Daniel Bryan joined, it'd be whatever. What's the best thing WWE can counter do to counteract the revolution, by the way, outside of re-signing Daniel Bryan and put him in the ring? It's basically build their own indie revolution inside of their own company. Can you guys imagine a faction? Nick, are you, are you, can you just think about this, a faction with evil Daniel Bryan, KO, and Sami Zayn, three guys who came from and still to a degree represent the indies as the face of this anti-WWE movement inside of WWE? This is like CM Punk 2010 where we don't know what's real and what's not real. This has potential to be brilliant, and if they're not going in this direction, they better be listening to this show right now and they better get on board. I don't think Daniel Bryan's turning heel, and for the reasons I gave you last week, because he's too natural of a babyface. The crowd absolutely loves him in that role. I don't think it's going to happen. And I got to tell you, like, we're, we'll preview the card coming up a little bit. I, this match, I mean, I, I hope that we have the light at the end of the tunnel. I am, I am optimistic that there will be some sort of ending that gets us buzzing on Sunday. I could give two, two you-know-what about this match at this point right now. But the point that I want to get into here is you want to talk about how WWE kills the revolution, how how Luke Skywalker doesn't blow up, spoiler, doesn't blow up the Death Star at the end of Star Wars and New Hope, which came out in 1977. I hope you saw it at, at this point, is to do their own, like you said, and not just with Daniel Bryan but with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. And I just hope, and this is why I think no, 2018, no, no. Oh. we are standing at the precipice of what I think is a very exciting year for professional wrestling in 2018. One that could send seismic shifts through the sport that we love so much. I would not be surprised if this was building to some sort of insane angle involving guys that are not currently. All right, let me enter before the Silver King jumps. Let me just interrupt you quick. Why does that make you happy and why does that give you confidence when we've seen things from the outside come in, whether it's the 2002 relaunch of NWO, whether it's ECW coming back in 06, whether it's Woken Matt Hardy right now, things that were conceived you, gonna, and brilliant outside 
They oh, come in and they're watered down and they're soaked in WWE juice. Why do you? Why does that get you fired up? If you're a Kenny Omega fan, why would you want him anywhere near Titan Towers, Nick? Tell me. Tell me right Here's now. The difference. Here's the difference. Because in 2002, when they did the invasion angle, the WCW wrestlers had no choice. They were bought by WWE. WWE was the only place on the block. When the NWO was reformed, it was done so under Vince McMahon. What were Hogan Hall and Nash going to do? Go to some some freaking some bingo hall in Philadelphia? No insult to ECW. That's the first thing that came to mind. Some bingo hall in freaking Piscataway and, 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 do, and do a show there for 50 bucks? No, that was not going to happen. The reason why it would work if it happened is because Kenny Omega doesn't need WWE. The Young Bucks don't need WWE. Cody Rhodes doesn't need WWE. The WWE kind of needs them more than they need the WWE when it comes down to it. So if and when it happens and the revolution, as you call it, Brian, comes to WWE's doorstep, it ain't going to be watered down because they're not going if it's going to be watered down unless they're complete and total sellouts, and it is. Nick, they have no control. When does anybody have any control? Tell me, please. Wait, let's all – let's – not forget as well, you're talking about things that were redone. So the NWO was brought back, all these things. This isn't a redo. This would be fresh. Really? New it would be the Bullet Club. It's been done. It's going on right now. In Japan. Yeah. It's going on somewhere else yeah, where people love TNT it. on TNT and TBS in Japan, where no one in the American audience that watches WWE, aside, well, well, aside well, from... Well, I mean, how in the heck... W ripoff, to be fair. Well, it's an everything ripoff. I mean, they literally have a shirt now. I was just messaging BC that says suck it on the back. That's it's a DX ripoff. Yeah. It's an NWO ripoff. It's everything ripoff. But the point is, uh, the regular WWE fan, and we lose sight of this a lot, the regular, normal, run-of-the-mill WWE fan does not know the Bullet Club exists. They see the shirt in the audience. Like, what is that? Oh, it's probably just someone I don't know. That's what goes through their head. Fans like us know, watch, follow, etc. Well, but I don't know because they do talk about the Bullet Club the last couple of years on WWE TV when they're talking about Balor and they're doing the two suites and they're doing the Balor I, I think, Club. I think it's somewhere in the mix of what you two are saying. I think it's more prevalent than the Silver King is is leading on to, and I don't know if it's as prevalent, Brian, as what you're. But how could you be confident that it would that it would be that they'd have any control and it would be worth your while? Like it would but be no WWEized. Do you remember what I said to you when the Jericho Omega thing first surfaced? When I said, I bet you that Vince, is, Vince has a hand in this. And that I think this is eventually going to turn out to being Omega coming to WWE. I still think that's a real distinct possibility. I don't. I think Omega's going to eventually come because that's what you do at the end of your career. But that's another topic. Can I serve us? Yeah, I address my point back. on the idea, Daniel Bryan turning heel and maybe being this indie faction where they're basically doing the revolution inside WWE. So, I, I don't like, this is great, and whether the faction happens or whether there's a, a whole angle at play or not, whatever. What I took away from Tuesday night on SmackDown, I think this is the biggest, most important point besides all of this. I am pretty sure, pretty, pretty, pretty sure that Daniel Bryan is going to be returning to a WWE ring sooner than later. You don't put, I know that there's different clearances for a guy to be a referee than to take bumps. I'm aware of that. But if Daniel Bryan is going to be in a squared circle on Sunday at Clash of Champions, He's not going to get touched. Like, nothing's going to happen to him. If they are going to this extent, if he is now getting involved in action inside the ring, taking the referee's shirt off on Tuesday night, what's next for him? What's next for him is wrestling. Shane McMahon or Kevin Owens or Shinsuke Nakamura or Randy Orton or whomever. I am almost completely convinced that Daniel Bryan's coming back into WWE as a wrestler. And this on Tuesday night, I think, was the biggest... Um, I don't even know what to call it. Slingshot into that belief that I've ever had before.
I mean, we talk about it every week. Like, yes, I think Daniel Bryan no, will probably come back. Yeah, but na- my point is, I think they just gave us the proof that it's happening. I hope it does, because it would really inject some much-needed life into SmackDown. I, I, I really want it to happen. I agree with all that. I think after this week, I'm of the where I, I was, you know, almost conspiracy theory, maybe out of hope that Daniel Bryan would force himself out of the company because he wants to wrestle. I think they're they are realizing what the damage of that would be, and they're going to give him a a modified role and make it happy. And I think for the first time, like I said, he could run a faction. He could be a major player, by the way, without having to take a ton of bumps because his mic work and his personality has gotten really good. And that's the difference between, by the way, BC and us. I think, and tell me if I'm speaking for you. He wants Daniel Bryan to leave WWE. I would never want him to leave WWE. Um, I mean, it really depends. Like, well, what would Bryan like if he left WWE and he to was wrestle in New Japan? I, uh, that might be pretty good if it happens. But I like, mean, are you rooting for that to happen? Because he's rooting for that to happen. All right, right let me Brian, let me define that. I'm rooting for that to happen, and I'm rooting for, for everything you hear from me when I talk about the revolution, not because I hate WWE, not because I want them to go in a negative direction financially. It's because I hate scripted everything, and that's what this era is, scripted everything, and that's why NJPW feels fresh from the promos to the liberties that they have in the ring. I want to see WWE forced to change. And we Triple H and I talk about that in terms of NXT, how in some ways NXT has forced the main roster to change. I want to see a, a lot of that, that the other product in this revolution is so good that WWE is like, okay, we have to adjust with the times. Nick, they are, they are booking and presenting it like they did in 2002 and three right now. Right. I got good news for you. You want change. You want new. You're going to get it at the Royal Rumble. When 47-year-old Glenn <laughs> Jacobs... Oh, it's got to be someone, all right. And it's Glenn Jacobs. Glenn Jacobs will likely be in the Universal Championship match at the Royal Rumble in the year of our Lord, 2018. One more time for effect. 47-year-old Glenn Jacobs will likely be in the main event for the Universal Championship at the Royal Rumble in the year of our Lord, 2018. This is a thing that is going to happen. And I ask a simple question. Why? I think this week we actually have a booking well, reason. There is, well, there is an answer for it. Right. Uh, this it's, reason, it's this week. Someone not be Braun Strowman. But the point is, that's not a good enough reason to no, it's not. insert him into a triple threat match at the Royal Rumble at this point after weeks. Like, I'm, I'm out of anger. I'm out of jokes. I'm out of being upset. I'm almost beaten down to the point where I'm basically like, who are we to judge? If this whole thing doesn't bother Katie Vick, then really... Who are we to judge? And by the way, that Judging. was not that was not from our interview this week with Triple H. That was from a, a, a previous soundbite. But uh, I will say I that the Hulk Hogan on board, brother. Can you play that one? Because that's how I feel watching Kane. I mean, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous, right? That so he comes out this week, and you're like, okay, we're finally getting closer. Yes, we have to endure another Kane main event against Strowman, which we have no need for. It has not been fun and exciting, but we're finally getting closure. I was so offended that he had a chance to enter. The, the match against Brock Lesnar, that I was cheering for him to win so that it didn't ruin Braun Strowman. And I'm like, if you're going to be ridiculous, WWE, like you had Jinder as champion, and like I you know, we liked parts of it. It was ridiculous overall. Go the distance, right? Let Kane go into that. The fact that they let this thing end in a double countout, which is no closure whatsoever, and then let it just go on and on with steel steps and slams through the table, which is not a victory, by the way. That's not a door prize at the end that we got to see him go through a table. Who the heck cares? And now I have people hitting me on Twitter. 
You people that are doing this, stop. Unfollow me right away. Do not talk to me ever again that are saying, oh, BC, you're out of control on this. Don't you get it? He's going to take the pinfall to protect Braun against Brock. He should never be in this situation. And guess what? Braun Strowman should never be in this situation. You know who should be in the cane spot right now? Finn Balor. I don't care if he was set up to job to Brock, which is probably how you would have to set him up anyway. Not only does he have it, but he should be in this situation right now. Yet it's Kane. Why? It is, this is like, this is the equivalent of, you know, the people in the apartment downstairs from us, they do illegal dog fighting outside and there's blood everywhere. But you know what? At least they pick up our dog's poop so we don't have to do it. That's the reaction of fans. Like, you know, this sucks really that bad. Just got, like, that just got really weird. <laughs> yeah, that was dark. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's Kane. This sucks really bad. But, you know, don't worry about it. At least Braun Strowman's going to come out looking good. You know when Braun Strowman did not come out looking good? The last two months when he's in there with Kane. Nick, talk. What's going on? Like, are you kidding me? What happened to my I'm bored brother? What happened to that? Can, can you play that for me here? It's my favorite soundbite. I'm bored brother. That's, it's the best soundbite it that is. we play. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. And look, Brian, all right, ready? Finn Balor does not have it. That being said, you're 100% right. Finn Balor versus Brock Lesnar would be a thousand times better than this potential triple threat match. And I don't, I don't think Finn Balor has it and you're 100% right. Here's the other point. So... A couple times in the year of our Lord, 2017, Braun Strowman main evented Monday Night Raw against Paul White, better known to you and yours as the Big Show. Well, it's the Big Show. Oh, had to, had to. And to be fair, what were our collective reactions to that match in 10 seconds or less, Brian Campbell? Uh, Look at all of this crap in this ring. I, I, I completely disagree. I thought those matches were pretty damn good, the Braun Strowman Big Show main event. They were good, yeah. In hindsight, Big Show sold out. Absolutely. You're right. They were good. No, but, they, no, but like they, they weren't good. Like, we came on here. We were really excited about them. They were good. The like, first were, time, Nick, the first time, all right? No, the second match in the cage was good, too. It, they were better than, I'm not saying it was a five-star technical classic, but it was better than it had any right to be. Kane stinks. These matches with Braun are terrible. Like, Big Show was putting on great matches with, with, with Braun Strowman, but Kane can't coax a decent match out of Braun Strowman? These two don't have any chemistry. And by the way, can we please put an end to the maniacal supervillain laughs? It's bad enough that Bray Wyatt cackles like he's taking meth at the end of every promo that he does. <laughs> now, we've got, now we've got Kane like talking about nonsense and monsters and nightmares and demons and fairy tales and BS, and then we get to watch 47-year-old Glenn Jacobs. <laughs> like he's a James Bond villain. Give it a freaking rest. This stuff sucks. And you know what I am, Brian Campbell? Like Hulk Hogan when he uttered that whenever the hell at some edition of Monday Night Show. You know what I am? Uh, play, what? The, play the damn sound, my please. <laughs> Thank you very much. Brian Campbell off his game today. I'm bored, brother, by the Kane crap. I'm bored by Kane and Braun Strowman, and I should never be bored by Braun Strowman. This sucks so yeah i mean literally nick you can see i wrote this sucks so i'm in complete agreement here the one caveat i'm gonna put on this entire thing so vince mcmahon forced this into existence he decided kane is gonna be involved with braun and i don't want finn balor in the main event and so on and so forth so let's put that aside and say okay this is the position we're in right with that being said Having that match on Monday night, having it transpire the way it did, having it end the way it did, and the result being a triple threat match so Braun doesn't have to do the job at Royal Rumble 
is almost the best case scenario for a really crappy scenario. Adam, how bad is that match going to be? Be really honest with me. It's going to be terrible, although there may be an opportunity for Braun to just destroy Lesnar and Kane. But what does that do? And then Lesnar. It, it doesn't do but anything again, if that happens. It literally is counterproductive if that happens. But we all know that. We all know this is bad. But given the fact that this is bad and that it sucks and that it's boring, the best case scenario here is for Braun to not take another F5 and a clean pinfall in this match. The best case scenario is for Braun to be in a position where he can at least look dominant against Kane and Lesnar. Maybe he beats the crap out of both of them. Lesnar pushes him out of the ring, pins Kane, something like that. I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying because Vince gave us a terrible situation, this is maybe the best that we can hope for right now. You know what? I take it back. I'd rather watch Wrestle Kingdom than the Royal Rumble. <laughs> I take it's it. time to rumble! It's time for the Royal Rumble! Now, you, you hear Vince's voice there. That's 90s Vince. Isn't it just crazy that we talk about their inability to develop talent in WWE, and they had Bray Wyatt as WWE champion in March, and we were buying it, and we were loving it. They had Braun Strowman as a well, you massive, massive face and someone that's extremely over with the crowd, and they just, through booking, just ruined both of them. Well, I mean, Brian Bray Wyatt is not, in my opinion, in the same stratosphere as, of stardom as Braun Strowman is. Like, I never, I didn't buy Bray Wyatt the way that you guys did, but... But it was the, working, the, the, though. The, the, like it, it was... Yeah, in your opinion, I, I didn't necessarily like it that much, but the Braun Strowman thing, as, as I've detailed painstakingly... Um, is was it's a complete and utter unmitigated disaster as this triple threat match, uh, which is likely, I don't know if it's officially been announced yet, but I mean, if Not you're yet. a wrestling fan with any semblance of a clue, you know that that's where it's going. Kane, Strowman, and Lesnar in the main event of the Royal Rumble. And, you know, now that that's actually set in, I'm kind of thinking about it. I might be backing off my Royal Rumble versus Wrestle Kingdom take. I might be on the Wrestle Kingdom bandwagon, but I still need some time to think about it. Let's see how the rest of the card develops. So that does it for the main event portion of the show. And now, since we spent so much time on this, we got a lot of Triple H interview to get to with Brian Campbell. So we're going to skip Hero or Zero this week, and let's get right into the old Brian Campbell, the old direct messages, better known to you and yours as the DMs. First one coming up from our buddy at uh, at Len Biggs, Len Anderson. I'm going to start with the postscript, the PS. He wrote, Nick is 1,000% right on Finn Balor not having it. He is the first person... The first person on a pod of any consequence that I've heard admit it. Now, you say admit it like it's a bad thing. Like I, like, I admit that I cheated on my wife. I'm stating the obvious here. You know what I'm saying, Len? The sun came up today. You know what I'm saying? Water's wet, grass is green, and the sky is blue. Finn Balor doesn't have it. I didn't admit it. I'm stating a fact. But thank you very much for the compliment, Len Biggs. Now, Len's question and point is, he says he loves the pod. You should. It's really good. But he's got to give a huge zero to the Woken Matt Hardy gimmick. You guys seem all in on it, and he's not sure why. Hated it in TNA, and as far as he knows, did nothing to actually attract viewers. Is he wrong? So look, I don't care about the TNA aspect of this. Let's talk about the WWE aspect of it. Brian Campbell, week two, Woken Matt Hardy. Go. I'm afraid I've got some bad news. That I was right about being nervous after week one, where week one was okay. It was kind of cool. It was kind of fun. Guys, week two is awful, and it confirmed all of my fears. This is a big joke. It's going, I know it's so early to say it's going nowhere. All we've seen are the same promo twice. I'm just saying I have no, I have zero confidence, zero confidence that we're going in a good direction here. How could we? How could I? Bri, I agree with you. 
I, and I disagree on one point. I didn't think last week was okay. I thought last week was sensational. I yeah. laughed my ass off last week with the Woken Matt Hardy stuff. This week, it felt played out. It felt forced. And the way that they did it, and normally we praise the production value of Terrible. WWE and the way that they present things. But the way that this was presented with the Woken on the screen and like the glass breaking sort of before Matt Hardy would talk, it felt like it was just overproduced dreck and drivel. You don't need it. Just give Matt Hardy a microphone and just let the guy go out there and do his thing. And here's why that I'm with you here and why I hated, I hated it on Monday Night Raw. And I said it last week, if the broken gimmick or the whatever the F they're calling it is going to work, Matt Hardy's got to have a big presence on the show. He can't be out there doing two-minute vignettes. He can't be someone lost in a three-hour shuffle known as Monday Night Raw. You got to put the guy on SmackDown, and you got to make him a central figure of the show. Because where I will disagree with you, Len, is the gimmick is great. And Matt Hardy is awesome in portraying the gimmick. Now, what has happened? And, Bri, this was your concern, and you get credit for this because I did not think this was going to be the case. They've WWE'd it. Yes. It's homogenized. Yep. This was not TNA, broken Matt Hardy. This is WWE, woken Matt Hardy. Week one, great. Week two, awful. And I would be honest, it was worse in week two than it was good in week one. And this is from the same people who are saying, I want Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks in WWE. You do not want to go to Difference. high school, Billy. You do not want Difference. to go to high school. And by Difference. the way, when Bobby Roop sat down a commentary on SmackDown this week, the first thing he said was, I feel glorious because he's a punchline, he's a catchphrase, and that's where Woken Matt Hardy's on a fast track to right now. They literally have Matt Hardy standing or sitting in front of a wrinkled blue sheet, and that is somehow supposed to compare to Bray Wyatt's demonic shack background, whatever's going on. You know what happened. Vince saw the first one, and he's like, that was really good. Let's do it again. But he needs a graphic transition. We got to do something. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? You know, Bray Wyatt has this thing. We can't do the same thing. So they came out with that woken thing with the glass shattering. That was awful. I mean, as bad as it was. They just didn't need it. There's no reason for it. As bad as it was that they repeated the exact same segment from last week, which, by the way, they do all the time on both shows constantly. It's It's a carbon copy of the week before. As bad as that was, that graphic made it worse. It made me hate it because it said to me, instead of him just cutting in like with, you know, some type of quick transition like he did in week one, it's now being forced on me that he's woken. Instead of it being natural, now it's a purposeful thing. And that is how they ruin every yep. single thing WWE's they do. Rockstar, they force, everything. Let's... They force Finn Balor to be extraordinary. They force Shinsuke Nakamura to be the rock star. They're not these things. Yeah, I didn't like it, and um, and I just hope that they get it back on track because I think this is where this is where Len, I do think is your last thing was. Am I wrong? Yes, you are wrong because the gimmick is great, but no, you are not wrong in the fact that it was a zero this past Monday night. Next up in the DMs from JB at jbrax1122, he says, "What do these things have in common?" The Miz's best match in years slash ever. Elias's best match ever. A great Jason Jordan match. And this past Monday, the best Cesaro match over the last couple of years. Now, Brian, he's asking, you've been terrible today with the sound bites when being queued up. So hopefully you've got this one ready. Go ahead, Brian Campbell. What is the common denominator of all these things? Big dog. Roman Reigns, who actually said in an interview recently that he's the best worker in the world. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I think, and you know, I think that out of the wrestling podcasts out there that people listen to, ours included, I feel like we might be the most positive 
when it comes to Roman Reigns. Look, you don't got to sell me on the greatness of Roman Reigns. I think the guy's a sensational performer. He's great in the ring. I'm with you, man. I love Roman Reigns. And this is what WWE is doing right now. They're, they're in an in-between period, so they're filling time with long matches, multi-segment matches like we talked about last week. And by the way, the ratings last week did not <laughs> prove that it was not a good idea. They went back to the well here. And as much as I'm sick of seeing members of the Shield wrestle members of the bar in matches that don't matter, which is what happens every single week on Raw, a lot of the times those matches are friggin' awesome. And you got to give a head uh, a shout out of the non pay per view matches this year. This Rain Cesaro match was as good as we've seen. And when he says as good, best match in the last couple of years for Cesaro, it might have been. I mean, Cesaro we know is a great worker. Reigns is proving he can now get a great match out of everybody. Shout out to those guys. The match meant nothing. And a lot of Raw hasn't meant anything, but this was fun. I'll just say this. JB, you're 1,000% right. Like, Reigns is great, just like Nick said and BC said. In this particular match, I think it was Cesaro's match. Cesaro led the way throughout the entire show, and Reigns was there as the supporting actor. If you kind of watch how the whole match went down, it was Cesaro putting the arm bar. It was Reigns just selling the entire time. So Reigns is great. But this one, I really put on Cesaro for being a great technician. Next one from at Jax Browner. Bri, you can handle this one since Jax is apparently drinking the Kool-Aid. He asks, is Cody Rhodes the most underrated part of the revolution? And he actually capitalized the R in revolution. Bri, you're, you're kind of brainwashing the people here, doing a good job of it. <laughs> and he says, you could argue a big spotlight was thrown onto the indies when Cody Rhodes quit WWE and went to Ring of Honor slash New Japan, the whole deal. I didn't really think of this, but he makes a really good point in the fact that Cody leaving WWE on his own volition to say that I'm better than this, there's more than I can accomplish, was a transitional point. It was a big turning point in the sense that he started to make cards in, in territories that he went to made people notice, right? When he went to TNA for a little bit, he went to Ring of Honor. Now he's exclusive with them, but certainly there's a Northeast promotion called Northeast Wrestling in Connecticut that I see a lot of online. He's He defends their championship all the time. He's making it matter, and guys, the work that he's done of late on this highest level, in New Japan when he fought Okada during that G1 USA special, and now coming up against Obushi, uh, which we can only guess is going to be a classic, you got to give Cody Rhodes credit for being underrated in this sense. He's a dark horse for maybe wrestler of the year that we don't give him enough credit for, for what he's accomplished in this year. And yes, he's playing a big role in that transition because he brings the WWE name, but he also brings ambition and and autonomy and he wants to do something big on his own name not under stardust not under his dad's name on his own name and i just want to say if anyone saw this pay-per-view on sunday night the tag league one that njpw had he was in a tag match opposite abushi he gave him a crossroads on the top of a stage head first onto it that was vicious and then as he was walking by commentary hilariously this is what happened cody what about abushi what about abushi what about him He's the Brutus Beefcake to Kenny Omega's Hulk Hogan. He's a sidekick. Wow. A sidekick. On the show. I love that. I'm sorry. I love that, and I love Cody. Yeah, I'm going to give you I'm gonna give you that one, Jax Browner. You're on to something. Um, I think uh, I'm not a huge Cody fan. I'm not trying to really poo-poo Cody. He's just uh, – he's never really done it for me. I respect him, and I certainly respect his business acumen and what he's done since leaving WWE, so that needs to be said. But as a performer goes, I mean – I think you'd probably towards the bottom of that list of the guys that are at the forefront right now of the revolution. That's just my opinion. Last one coming from Eddie at Eddie underscore HDZ 17. He says with the introduction of these six new women on raw and SmackDown absolution and the riot squad, how hyped are we for the women's tag title sometime in 2018, along with the potential for a women's Royal rumble match. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. It's time. They had the money in the bank match this year, and I thought it was a success. And I, and I think it, you know, it's something that you'll you'll hear shortly when we ask Triple H about that. And I think it's time for even tag titles. While I'm again not loving the addition of the Riot Squad and Absolution and what they're bringing outside of Page, it is time to treat them like uh, on the same level, right? Treat them how they were treated in NXT. By the way, let's go. Let's go the full Monty. Nick, tell me why we shouldn't have a women's Royal Rumble right now. Tell me. I don't disagree. I think there should be one. There it is. Yeah, Royal Rumble, definitely. Titles, I think. They can't book two women's angles. Now you want them to book tag team women's angles. And you would assume on both shows? I don't think so. And I'm going to quote you, BC. How dare you not mention Mandy Rose in something that's been a major benefit of these two teams being added? Because Mandy Rose, my friend, is a star in the making. Would you say that she has... Oh, yeah. She's got it. Oh, look at this guy. Look at this guy, Silver King, going all uh, wow on us, you know? I, I, I am also, I mean, how could you not be a fan of Mandy Rose? So that does it for the DM slides. Thanks so much to Jax Browner. Thanks so much to our guy, Eddie. Thanks to Jay Brax, and thanks to Len Anderson. So Brian Campbell, without further ado, set us up for your sit-down interview with Triple H. Oh, yeah. Big week this week for NXT, getting that USA Network special. First time they've been on national TV since 2010. Hey, when you get an opportunity to talk to Triple H to pick his brain when he gives you this kind of time, it's always worth listening to for the things he says and maybe the things sometimes that he doesn't say that, that leave you wondering if there's more there. But let's throw it right now. Enjoy. Very excited to welcome back to the In This Corner podcast, right in the midst of WWE Holiday Week on the USA Network. You know him, you love him. WWE executive Paul Levesque, but come on, you're the game, your trips, your hunter to us on this show. So, Paul, first time ever, USA Network, Wednesday night, December 13th, right on top of us here, one-hour NXT special at 7 Eastern, 6 Central. So, this really fires me up, being an NXT fan, a real protector of what that brand has become. So I, I got to kind of ask you what the long-term goal in this decision is because, you know, hearing you talk in interviews for more than a year, it's you want NXT to be that legit third brand, not a developmental territory. So is this the next step in that process, feeling this out like this? Well, you know, it, it can be. I, you know, at this point, I don't know. Here's what I do know is it was a hell of an opportunity. Um you know, if you look at NXT over the last few years, it's grown into something where NBCU, USA, the number one cable channel in, 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 uh, in America, came to us and said, we'd like to take an hour of prime time and give it to NXT. That's awesome. Um, you know, to me, that, is, that just that says a lot about the brand, where it's at, and, and the value of it. Um, I'm really excited about that. And... Uh, you know, I think we put together a hell of a show, and I think that everybody that watches it, and hopefully it'll be a lot of people, is a lot of people haven't been exposed to NXT. It, it's, it's on the WWE Network, and it um, that, that you know that has a limited pocket of exposure. So this is an opportunity for us to kind of show what we do to the world. And you're right, I do want it to be a third brand. In some way, it'll always be some type of developmental because I think you're always going to have new talent trying to learn their craft in that brand. But over time, especially, it will become um, what I feel like it is now. It's an alternative. It's a third brand. And this is just another step forward in that. What it means long term, I, I don't I don't know. I know that uh, WWE Network's our home. Uh, I think we'll always be on there in some way, shape or form because that is the WWE. But um, but we'll see. 
You know, it's part of a loaded week. The tribute to the Troop Show will be Thursday night at 8, 7 Central from San Diego. Paul, back to this sort of the idea of NXT being that third brand. Now, it's, it's sometimes... To, to use a bad term, crossing of the stream. Sometimes you have Kevin Owens in 2015 showing up on Raw with the NXT Championship, but that's rare. It's almost like they're separate universes here. Moving forward, is that how you prefer, or do you want to see a situation where NXT guys enter these dual brand pay-per-views, you know, on the level of the red and blue brand? You know, it's a double-edged sword, and I'm I'm mixed on it. Like I. I um exposure of any time we can do stuff on Raw and SmackDown is great. But in in some way, I like keeping it separate and having it be its own universe. You know, to me, there's um, there's something to that intrigue. I go back to to being a kid and, and the different territories and, and different products. And it was cool to me that they always were separate and they lived in their own environments. And I feel like while it would have been really cool to have them mixed, eh, but then it's over, you know. Um, I, I think having that separate brand, that's what makes them different, what's, what makes them an alternative. And NXT has a totally different vibe. It's not better, not worse, not anything. It's just different, right, than Raw. It's different than SmackDown. It's got its own feel and flavor, um, and, and I think that's important. No, certainly. It's a it's a very different flavor. Now, we had you on this podcast in August. You hit you with the hard question of, you know, what's WWE's biggest competitor these days? You said, well, honestly, it is NXT pushing the, the Raw and SmackDown locker rooms, making people, you know, want to do better, have to do better because there's those guys underneath pushing. And, you know, to take that a step forward, and you may have to pull me off the ledge here, but just the fan in me. There's many of these super weekends where I prefer the TakeOver show to what happened in the main brand pay-per-view. You know, NXT has this weird mix of its old-school territory system and new-school indie wrestling at the same time. It's like, for me, that's a perfect mix. You envision a scenario where it's your goal, where that feeling, that vibe, one day becomes the feeling and vibe across WWE proper, that raw feeling? You know, I I don't know. It's funny... um... There's there's just it's just different flavors. I don't know uh, chocolate vanilla, and 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 it's different. So does it change? I, look, I think over the last few years, in some way, NXT has changed a little bit of what Raw and SmackDown do. It's some of the things that were happening. Um, you know, look at the, the women's evolution. I believe you know is there. There's a, a moment in time where. Fans were chanting, give Divas a chance, I feel, because they were seeing what could be on NXT. Um, and, and that transitioned forward. And, and um, you know, I think that's great. I think anything that can push something to be better, to evolve, to become something more, um, is a, a great opportunity to do that. I think that it, it, people often put labels on what it is, like uh, I, I see, you know, what you said about NXT is a little bit of old school territory, a little indie this or that, or I, I don't know. To me, I just look at it and uh, I don't know. I just go, is it good or not? Like, I don't, you put whatever label on it you want. It's like uh, being a musician and saying, I either make good music or I don't make good music. You can call it heavy metal or you can call it rock and roll or you can call it pop or you can put the label on it however you want. It's either good or not. People either buy it or they don't. 
Um, and that's kind of how I do. I, I, I for NXT, kind of just look at it as trying to do what I think would be good. And then I go back to being a, a fan and being a kid, and I just say, what's the best show I can do? What's the best event I can put on? Oh, I like him as a talent. I like her as a talent. Ooh, you know what I'd really like to see is this. And it's kind of what I do. And that's obviously not a knock against, you know, red and blue brand and, and, and the the audiences it appeals to, the, the the differences in the style and presentation. Maybe it's just like you said, music-wise, some people prefer this. Maybe I prefer it. But are there are you finding, since you've launched NXT, that there are certain superstars that come up through the system that are better served for that style, that, are, that, that have a brighter future in NXT than maybe they would? Uh, in a different setting on the larger arenas, you know, whole different process on Raw and SmackDown? Absolutely. There, there are certain talent that I can look at in NXT and say, this person is perfectly suited for NXT to be a big deal and a top performer. And maybe in Raw and SmackDown is much more pocketed in the middle somewhere. Um, doesn't, you know, it's funny that that's, Sometimes people feel like that's a negative now. I don't. You know, there's so many talent over the years that have these legendary careers that the truth is if you break it down and look at it, they weren't champions. They weren't main event players. But but that what does that mean? You know, people loved your career. They thought you were a hell of a performer. That's awesome. It doesn't, it's not a success or a failure point. Um, to me, being seen by as many people as possible globally making a living for you, your family, all those things. That's what it's about. Um, I just think that there are also then on the flip side of that certain talent. And, and I can, I'll, I'll actually even name one for you that the entire time they were there, I was trying to get them ready to get ready for raw SmackDown because I knew as a performer, their value was there. They were perfectly suited for that environment and not as much. So for NXT Elias. Yes. Yes. The, the entire time I worked with Elias from the, from the first time I watched him um, in the performance center and was br- pulling him into NXT television. And I had said it to Dusty, he's, he's made for the roster, not for NXT. He's, he's the gimmick, the way he is, his demeanor that, that, that he's suited for that. He's not the fit for NXT. Doesn't mean he won't be successful there. Doesn't mean he won't have a run there. But that run was to get ready for the roster. I think that's a great way to look at it. him. Uh, maybe maybe even Samoa Joe in that category, too. I, I've loved the way even more he's been presented on the main roster. Sometimes it can go the other way, as we've seen. Now, when I watch a match, Paul, like Velveteen Dream, Aleister Black, and I'm instantly like, I love that match so much. It's on my short list for match of the year. I want every match to be like that. And when I look at those two superstars, I mean, not only do I go, okay, you guys have a huge, bright future on your hands with both of these guys. What do you do with guys like me who kind of have the feeling of, I don't want them to leave NXT. I want them to exist in that universe forever. Not that I'm scared that they may change, but they, to me, are so perfect for that. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's um, that's, a, that's a part of it. Look, I, I want these the the guys the girls all of them to have the most successful careers that they can have and that success is not necessarily based on them being champions or them doing anything other than than making a great living for themselves becoming successful doing it for a long period of time it's a, it's a marathon it's not a sprint right um 
and, and doing it for a long period of time. Whether that success comes in NXT, whether that success comes in Raw, SmackDown, WrestleMania, it depends. And it depends on how those talent grow. You know, if, if Velveteen Dream is the same performer five years from now that he is right now, I have failed massively in my grooming of him. Sure. He, he needs, he needs to, to uh, and, and he's failed as a performer, right? If you're the same human being five years from now that you are right now, you've failed as a person. You, you have to change and grow and adapt. And, and what that means to where he ends up as a performer, um, whether he succeeds, doesn't, whether he grows, doesn't, whether he ends up raw, SmackDown, successful, not. It, a lot of that depends on a lot of factors. So, you know, you hope for the best and you try to give them all the tools possible and you see where it goes. Um, and then wherever the best fit is, over time, I think there might be some talent that you say, you know, they had a run on the main roster. They end up in NXT. They have more success there from a from a critical standpoint. Um that might that might be true, and and maybe that's long term where they end up because eventually, as you said, it's an alternative. It's not just developmental. I, I like that. I like that sort of what you're establishing there. That that it could, guys could come back down if that's a better fit for them. It wouldn't be seen as you know any kind of demotion. It would be seen as that's the best use for them to to maximize themselves. Now you you take on a paternal tone with NXT. I mean, I, I love seeing the pictures on social media when somebody wins their first championship or gets called up. You can see the the look in your eye of how much this this means to you. Like this this brand is your baby. Is it hard for you on that same token? to release some guys, to let them graduate to the next level. Yeah, although, yes, um, but like it's not like I'm not working with them, right? I still see them at Raw and SmackDown. I'm just not controlling it, right? And it's a different <laughs> standpoint. So when they come to me now, I'm trying to – I'm I'm trying to more help them through the system as opposed to them coming to me for the answer. I'm trying to help them navigate a different system. I'm trying to help them navigate – a different environment and and how to handle things and even even how to have a a relationship with Vince and how to do all those things but there definitely is a a connection point and and a a paternal you know kind of a it's hard it's hard not to work with these talent and to want to see them succeed and then see the light bulb go off and then see them start to get it and then see them succeed and you know when you see them come back after they've had a match or they get called up or whatever that is, that success moment, you know, it's uh, it's easy to be jaded to it. But that first time you walk out on Raw, that's real. That's a different world, man. And, and the, the pride level of that is huge. And when you're in it that hard, it, Sean and I talk about this a lot now, Sean Michaels is, like Sean's in it too, you know, now, and, and he's got that same bug. And it's funny. He was just, uh, he couldn't be at war games. <clears throat> he was out, uh, making a movie and it was killing him. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, he was, uh, he wanted to make a minute by minute updates and like the whole rundown of everything. And, you know, it's, it's just, you get become invested in it. And I'm sometimes I'm almost more, uh, nervous for those shows and for the talent and excited for them than I am uh, for anything else, you know? Uh, I t totally understand that. I think a lot of fans, they see when somebody's going through maybe a, a rough patch of booking like Finn Balor recently, we're imagining Triple H going there going, oh, come on, guy, pick yourself up. You're going to be all right. There's a light at the end of this tunnel. I, I, I can understand how, how you would probably feel there. Paul, as we wind down here, wind down here, 
there's been some NXT call-ups to both women's divisions of late that, that have made a big impact. Are we closing in on a first women's Royal Rumble to make that next leap in, the, in what has started a few years ago with this revolution? Yeah, look, I think um, as it continues to grow, and, and I think the key word to that is evolution, right? Like it, it continues to grow. It continues to evolve. Um, the, the, the two rosters are what they've been. They've, been, uh, they've, they've grown now. There's more women. I think you're going to see that continue to evolve and continue to grow, um, especially when you start to look at the things that look like at May Young Classic and all of that, that, that um, added even more women sort of into our pipeline. And then you start looking at the international developments and all those things. Um, yeah, I think we're much closer than certainly we ever have been in the past. And, um, and I think that that's a, a a possibility, a strong possibility. I think there's a lot of possibilities. And I think you're going to, you know, you're going to get to the point um, where everything that, that these women have talked about, their their goals of being main event, being headlining pay-per-views and, and having all these things, that it's uh, it's coming to be, you know, um, and, and eventually it'll be here fully and it'll seem like it was overnight and it certainly wasn't. And p part of the excitement of the women moving forward is obviously the constant Ronda Rousey rumors. What can you tell us right now on where we are in this process, if this is a reality, if we're close? What can you tell us now about that? You know, it's it's funny. Is um, some Every now and then I wake up and I, I look at either social media or the Internet or the news or something, and I see a report, and I was like, well, that's news to me. And I'm the <laughs> one that would be having that conversation that's interesting but it's it's uh sources say uh, but um look uh everybody's very busy and um i know that uh from ronda's side and her team they are um i think looking for an opportunity where i have made it very clear that the opportunity exists it's just a matter of us uh, getting together and having conversations I wish I had something more to tell you than that, but we're we're just kind of talking and and uh, film where it goes and she's uh, making movies and doing other things and uh, but it's but it's exciting and there's there's a there's a lot of interest on both sides so we'll see where it goes. A lot a lot of interest from the fan base too. I'm sure that's you keep getting that question because people are so excited. Finally, Paul, look, business is business. This is not the first time it happened. It won't be the last. But considering how big of a splash in the headlines Chris Jericho has made in the past couple of months, doing a one-off with Kenny Omega in Japan, in his words, how do you respond to that personally? Uh, I don't respond. Meaning, like I think it's great, good for Chris. That's phenomenal. Good for Kenny. Good for them. Good for New Japan. Um, you know, we were aware um, that was a conversation that was had. Um, great. It's good for him. And, and look, Chris is uh, Chris is one of the greatest talents uh, in the history of the business, right? So it, I think it's great. I, I look, good product's good product. Um, I'm happy for them. Happy for Chris. Happy for everybody. Excellent. Paul, this Wednesday night, it is the one-hour NXT special on the USA Network, part of WWE Holiday Week. Very much looking forward to this, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. Lots to talk about there, Adam, especially when you talk about NXT's future and what this one-week opportunity could mean long-term. I've got to say, coming in, 
I wanted him to say, we want NXT on Wednesday nights. We want it to compete with Raw and SmackDown. We want it to be part of the same universe. But the more that he started to say, no, he wants it separate, I started to realize that's what's going to keep it unique. If it does stay separate, he's the, the, the greatest protector of his own baby. I got to side with him. Well, they tried and failed, you know, with ECW bringing it back to sci-fi. Um, they had NXT right in its old incarnation on a network show. I think it was either sci-fi or USA or somewhere. Um, I think the market for WWE television is saturated with Raw and SmackDown uh, in terms of weekly you know, shows. And if you're that big of a WWE fan, NXT on the network gets you to go. I, I have the network for pay-per-views and NXT. I don't know about you. All right, a couple other points I want to make quick. Number one, did you believe what he said about Jericho that he's that he genuinely is happy for him? Or because to me it came out a little bit like like corporate talk. This is the angle that we're going with it. Definitely corporate talk. Uh, I do think he's probably happy for him, but there's you never want your competition to do better. Like we're not happy when another podcast lands a better interview than we get. So there's no way that's true. And I thought you know because Jericho had said on many podcasts in the past that him and Triple H were rivals like real rivals in real life so that was sort of interesting the other thing that that i didn't get to with triple h but we talked about it you know offline is that wwe is announcing this new mixed match challenge this new facebook exclusive show a streaming 20 minute in-ring show that's going to air tuesday nights at 10 eastern it'll be a single elimination mixed tag tournament so it's men and women together but yet with fan interaction it seems like it's going to be next level the winner receives 100,000 for charity I'd love to give you an analysis here, but I have just no idea what this means or what it's going to look like. I mean, it explains to a degree, right? Nia Jackson, Enzo, maybe, but I don't get anything else but with this. Yeah, I don't know how they give a hundred. I mean, look, guys, we know wrestling is fake. It's fixed. It's predetermined, right? Not fixed, but fake and predetermined. So, it, how does the winner get a hundred thousand dollars for the charity of their choosing if WWE is choosing the winner? Like that, that doesn't really work for me. It doesn't make sense. So you have that. The fact that it's a twenty-minute show on Facebook Live. Um, there was a, a recent article that came out that talked about, you know, the value that WWE might be able to get by leaving broadcast television, network television, and heading over to online True. streaming giants. So maybe this is kind of a test of the marketplace. I would say it's that more than anything. I think else. it is. I think it is. And I wonder if that the whole idea of somebody winning chair, you know, money for their charity, maybe it's going to be fan voted or fa you know, certainly there's going to be fan interaction. I mean, that's the new thing. I mean, even Floyd Mayweather just did a streaming Instagram video where he's talking to his followers, like. You're getting access these days you don't normally get. If this is that kind of thing, it's cool. But what does it mean for the overall storyline, the cohesive storyline? It kind of you have to agree this probably would be a separate entity altogether. That's where I guess I'm hesitant. Well, let's put it like this. So you know I don't watch 205 Live unless you tell me to for a good reason. I'm going to watch this. Are you going to watch this? I'm going to try it. I don't know if it's going to become part of my you know, routine. It's hard enough, like we always talk about, to fit in NXT even. I love NXT. It's hard enough to fit that into the weekly routine. And isn't this is what you wrote down in the notes. Isn't this, isn't this 205 Live's time? Yeah, it's exactly. It's 10 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday nights, which confuses the hell out of me. Either A, it's not going to be live, which wouldn't make sense if it's fan interactive, or they're going to delay 205 Live to start at 1020 on WWE Network, I don't know. This is a little bit of a mess for me. Maybe we'll figure it out. It doesn't start until mid mid January. So yeah, I wish I had asked Triple H. When you you know you always after an interview you always like, man, I wish I asked. I wish I asked a larger overarching cruiser or cruiserweight point on what the goal is here. But I do believe I've read where there is talks about taping, you know, before Raw maybe even, and then you know playing two hundred five live. You know, whenever so whenever not so much two hundred five 
live. 205 man. tape delay. But uh, what will be live on Sunday from Boston, Adam, is the Clash of Champions SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. So we already nailed the storylines of the main event, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn versus Orton and Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura from the fact that Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan are going to both be special guest referees. So, like, I'm not even thinking about the four participants. Like, I'm KO and Zane to a little, to a degree, if they can end up, you know, if, if Daniel Bryan turns heel and they side together, which is what we teased earlier in the show. Does it even matter the actual match and the four participants and who wins? I guess it does with the stipulation, right? Yeah, the stipulation obviously means Owens and Zane are either winning or they lose and they figure out some type of loophole to get him back through Daniel Bryan. I think the most important thing we did not touch on coming out of Tuesday is Brian being the actual second referee in this match. Because if he wasn't, then you know every no one cares about the match. You're literally sitting there waiting for either Shane to get knocked out or to do something, Brian to run in, count the pin. Like that you know that's where it's going. So the fact that that's not we're not being prepared for that means there's something else up here. And I'm actually more intrigued about the match because of that than any other reason. The prediction for the match, because we always do predictions, is Owens and Zayn winning because they're going to keep their jobs, right? They're not going to get fired throughout WWE. Outside of that, I don't necessarily have a good handle on how this is going to transpire. They're leading us to believe it's going to be a heel turn for Brian, right? Yeah, and Orton and Nakamura feel like pawns in this. They feel like, you know, afterthoughts. So you wonder if there's going to be some spinoff involving them, something juicy. Will they be part of what happens next that we don't know? If this leads again to a faction being formed in WWE outside of the new women's factions that just, right. they really, there's a shortage on the main roster. There are no factions. We, we've talked about this before. They broke up the Wyatt family. If you consider the three-man New Day a faction, that's fine. There really are no factions outside of the Miztourage. So I'd like to see a dominant heel faction spinoff of this, whether it's Daniel Bryan or not, but obviously I think KO and Sammy are, are the obvious picks there. But, but even that faction, the White family, it's three people. Like, these aren't factions. They're groups. WWE needs a actual faction. Five, six, seven, eight people, right? And I think, like you said, this could be the start of one, and, and I'm excited to see it. Let's move on to I guess it's the co-main event. It seems like it's irrelevant these days. The WWE Championship has been irrelevant for six months. AJ, and this is now with AJ Styles. As the champion, he's defending it against Jinder Mahal in a rematch on Tuesday night on SmackDown. They gave us a little bit of maybe a potential swerve with the Singh brothers making believe they were mad at Jinder for attacking them. Obviously, obviously that was a ruse. BC, how do you think this is going to play out? Well, uh, you know, the best thing that happened was that opening segment where I thought AJ, you know, did great. And, and obviously the, the, the brothers, I thought, were fantastic, where I was suddenly cheering as a fan for them to be by AJ's side. And I'm like, you know what's going to get me to care about that match at the pay-per-view? If those two are by AJ's side, and then eventually, you know, it's are they going to go back to Jinder? Well, that didn't last long, and now, guess what? I don't care about this match at all, and I don't care how many times Jinder attacks AJ during the interview. It's like, nobody cares. I, would, I just want to move on, and I really hope that's what we're doing here. And if we are, it's really boring, right? Because you know AJ's going to win, so... Why Why should we care? This is sort of like when they do that pay-per-view called Payback a month after WrestleMania, and it's just a, half of the feuds are just a rehash. What, guys, WrestleMania should always be the end of your calendar year in terms of storylines. It's the biggest blow-off possible. No, I'll meet you in a cage at WrestleMania, right? It's like, no, that, no, I'll meet you one more time on Raw. No, I'll meet you another time at Payback. That's what this feels like. The House like. of Horrors match. Yeah, exactly. Um, for me, look, the Jinder Mahal experiment, I hope it's over. Uh, Jinder Mahal is now, he has been elevated, good for WWE. I think he's an upper mid-carder now. And give him an opportunity to either 
battle someone like Bobby Roode or Dolph Ziggler or whomever or contend for the U.S. title. I think hopefully this is the end of the road for him in the title picture. If he beats AJ Styles, I mean, I don't want to say I'm done like you say all the time, but I am a disenfranchised WWE fan of Jinder Mahal beats AJ Styles. Clean. You'll be getting out oh, your 999 yen or whatever it costs yeah. to be full-time NJPW, right? Exactly. So for me, I think it's Styles winning and retaining. And BC, I'm going to save it for another podcast, but I have a theory about the future of AJ Styles and the WWE Championship as we head into Royal Rumble and beyond. That's a little bit of a tease. Now, you know what they actually call that? The cliffhanger moment. It is a cliffhanger, and we will talk about that at another date. But in order for all of my my revolution of WWE, at least as it it pertains to WrestleMania, uh, comes into play, AJ Styles needs to retain. Let's move on to the U.S. Championship, which is now a triple threat match, BC. Baron Corbin, he was going to defend against Bobby Roode, and now we have Dolph Ziggler inserting himself into this into this mix. BC, do you think that Dolph Ziggler could come out of this as the U.S. champion? No, and I really wish he would, and it would be a great surprise to me if he did. And the problem here is even with Ziggler's insertion, there's nothing to see here. There was nothing to see the last two weeks when two of these guys faced each other on SmackDown, and the third guy obviously ran in and caused the DQ. I think it's they've done a good job rehabbing Corbin to a degree. Like I care about him more than I did, and he's still he's starting to be able to cut some fun promos every once in a while. Uh, it's just no, I don't care about this. I don't want Rude with the belt I, unless it's going to be a swerve with Dolph getting the, you know, if that if that comments he made on the Edge podcast gives him new life, then that's great. But if not, every, all signs are pointing to Corbin holding onto the belt unless obviously they have bigger plans and they're going to fast forward into that. But really. They don't, right? He's not. I mean, unless an AJ Styles Corbin feud for the big title is coming our way, I, I, what is this going to be? It's going to be a Corbin victory. Yeah, I mean, if Styles is in this match just to take the fall from Corbin, like shame on WWE. The Ziggler, yeah. I, I, did, did, who did I say? Styles. Oh my God! Excuse me. Um, as much as I like Dolph Ziggler, he's not AJ Styles. If Ziggler's in this match to take the fall from Baron Corbin, shame on WWE. Um, here's what's really interesting for me about this match. Bobby Roode's not a good face. So you have heel Baron Corbin, heel Dolph Ziggler, and Bobby Roode, who just kind of like exists on SmackDown right now. They made a massive mistake bringing him in as a heel, just like they did with Asuka not bringing her in as a heel. I don't know why WWE continues to mess with characters that are fully formed and ready to go coming out of NXT. Yes. I am so upset at this match. The only thing that can save it is Dolph Ziggler winning. I'm going to predict it just to be the contrarian and because I have hope that something exciting actually happens on the show and with SmackDown Live. Let's move on to the women's championship match, BC. Charlotte Flair defending against Natalia. It's now a lumberjack match with all the rest of the women on SmackDown ringside area. What do you think is going to happen here? Well, okay. Well, first of all, don't care. They haven't given us a reason to. This is a, another rehash of a match of a feud that should have been over. I don't really care either about the Riot Squad's insertion opposite the welcoming committee and what's going to spin off of that. The only thing I care about is something that we are not talking about. And look, it's, I'm not going to try to be a, a fresh, great fan here and make this prediction because I probably made this prediction for other pay-per-views since June. But since nobody's talking about Carmella's briefcase, maybe this is the time to shake things up. Charlotte already had her make good moment after Rick's illness where she won back the belt. She had the he surprised her in the arena and Charlotte like all those great mo- like that's over with. Maybe it's time to cash it in now to bring some life here. So I'm going to pick that Carmella wins this match because that really is the only reason why I would care about it. I mean, if you keep predicting it every month, eventually it has to happen, right? I mean, at some point you're going to get the cash in. I don't know. I, I, I think they set us up for thinking that in this case. But so she let's say she does and she wins. 
who is she feuding with? What happens to the Riot Squad? Who are they feuding with? Like, she Becky feuds with Charlotte. She'll feud with Charlotte, and it will matter because she'll have screwed Charlotte out of the belt. So that's fine. But then what's happening with the Riot Squad? What are they doing? Well, they're they're headed in toward a, a long uh, blood war with the welcoming committee. So they can all just, you know, they can all burn it as far as I care. I'll side with you and and, and give Carmella an oppor- a chance uh, to win. But, man, this is terrible. Like, this is really, really bad. I, as much as I hate the U.S. title match, I think this is going to be the worst match on the card <laughs> because it just doesn't make any sense. This, they shouldn't be going head-to-head again. Why are they all lumberjacks? It, there's not usually you, you put lumberjacks in a match when you need to keep people inside the ring. That's yeah. the whole point. Well, it's a, it's the whole point of hell in a cell. You can't get out. Like, Shouldn't this be a lumber gel match. Anyway, let's get out of this match. Please. It's just, it's bad tag team championship. The Usos. We love them versus Benjamin and Gable. We like them versus the new day. We love them. And Rusev and Aiden English. I think we love them too. So four really good tag teams. BC, is this going to be a really good match? Yeah, I think it, it, all four are going to be in there at the same time. That's the specific stipulation. So I think it's going to be wild and crazy and fun. And a lot of these teams have proven that they can go lately. I mean, the Usos New Day feud is arguably the best feud in all of WWE for the year. I want, even though the Usos have been great and deserve the belt, they've done so well on this soft Benjamin and Gable heel turn. That if they come out with the belts, I would be very happy to see where they're going next. Some for some reason, Chad Gable works as a heel. I don't know. Like he's a better performer than we knew. That now that he's given more opportunity, I still think that this team needs a name. I think that would help them a lot. And I also think that as much as I would be happy for them to win, let the Usos win here. I'm going to predict the Usos. They're they're so good. The New Day does not need the belt. Let the Usos have a have a run. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Usos win, and then they actually do the. Singles feud with Benjamin and Gable that we were kind of promised here. Um, I don't know why they went away from it. Literally, all these matches, they changed on a dime. For not, like, Rusev and Aiden English beat the New Day, and then both teams got added to the match. Yeah, like, that psychology doesn't make sense. Usos retain, I'm with you. We got two more matches here. We'll breeze through them really quick. No pun intended. Breezango against the Bludgeon Brothers, BC. Um, you know, this seems to be maybe the end to the fashion files, or at least that storyline they were building to. Are you excited to see the Bludgeon Brothers against some real competition for once? No, because I think the Bludgeon Brothers still need to to, to squash people, and I and I like Brizongo too much to see them squash. But in reality, do I care about this? No. Do I care about the Fashion Files angle that we do? We still know who is the 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 suspect in this mystery. I don't they, even know. Well, they said two B, which was Bludgeon Brothers, and, uh, and they did that like six weeks ago. They yet lost they're still me. Playing it out. It's yeah, weird. they lost me. I, I, here, my pick is that the Bludgeons win, obviously, and I think that they should win dominantly. Let's keep them going. They've been having nice squash matches lately. Let, let's keep building that. I think the Bludgeon Brothers are a total shame, uh, but they win and they run through Brizongo. And last and least, it's last and least, Mojo Raleigh against Zack Ryder for the end, I guess, or start of the feud that has been building for eight months now that no one really cared about. And they haven't given any TV time to BC. Who wins? I Mojo actually, Rally or old Zack Ryder? I actually care because I, I mean, Zack Ryder is my favorite superstar full. You know, I'll, I'll put that right out there. And I like Mojo and I like how evil Mojo has been. And I, look, I'm a sucker for barbershop windows, for mega powers, for the original mega powers angle, by the way, which is Hogan Orndorff, which was sort of the test case for what became Hogan Savage a few years later. This is esque of that. A poor homeless man's version waiting outside an arena with a sign to feed him type of version of that. I'm look, I'll say, let's see what you got here. Can we have an intense match? Can we have more storyline? I'm going to say, though, that Rowley has more upside. We know that. And he's 
interesting as a heel, so I'm going to pick Mojo, even though I definitely want to be doing this. Woo, woo, woo. You know it. But you know it, Broski. You had your moment at 31, and you probably will never have another. I don't know that we'll hear that line on WWE television again after Sunday night. Mojo has some mojo. I mean, he has an opportunity to be something. I don't think he has the upside that Jason Jordan does, but I think there is an opportunity there with Mojo. And what I would really like, and this is the sports fan in me talking, I liked Rob Gronkowski at WrestleMania. I would like to see uh, Mojo Raleigh, Rob Gronkowski tag team match. Well, no, listen, I don't know if you caught, but... Mojo said that Gronk is upset at him during a promo yeah. that he gave. So why don't they just feud against each other? I'd be down for that, too. I mean, if you can get Gronk in WWE, everyone talks about Ronda Rousey and all the, and Conor McGregor. Great. Rob, if you want to talk about crossover appeal, Rob Gronkowski right now, I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, BC, bigger than Lawrence Taylor fighting in WWE, right? Gronk today. Uh, nah, nah. Crossover star. No? You could argue it, but I, I still say LT was well, well, Gronk's in his prime where LT was retired and washed at that point, right. which is different. And LT has off-the-field issues. Um, Yeah, maybe in the TMZ era of social media, Gronk's the biggest part of me. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a worth, worthwhile debate. That is a very worthwhile debate. So that's what I, I want Mojo to get some pushes and give him a either kickoff show or whatever. Hour four WrestleMania match uh, against uh, Rob Gronkowski. Let's do that. Yes, that will wrap up the Clash of Champions preview in Boston. I have no expectations for this to be a good card, Adam. I, I and sometimes when you have such little, they do surprise you. So sometimes, let's, let's hope we see that. Many, many thanks to Nick Costos who had a duck away at the end here because we know he's a very passionate and busy man in the sporting world. Many thanks to Paul Triple H Levesque for the time and a shout out to one of our favorite listeners, Omar Al Rashid from Australia. You hear from him a lot on this show. He just received his bachelor's degree and has used the performance-enhancing audio, both MMA and WWE, to help him survive this semester. Omar, you're one of our guys. Shout out to you, man, all the way. Thank you for listening. Follow us on Twitter at BCampbellCBS, Silverstein, Adam, and The Costos. Get out there. Holiday season, five-star review time. Subscribe, review, rate, all that on Apple Podcasts. Adam, as we leave here today, all right? And give us two words for the ride home. I'm going to give a little more than two words. Also follow us at In This Corner CBS. And now those two words, we out. <laughs>